Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to be here after having last week off. I, we had a chance to uh, catch most of the service on live stream last week, and it looked like it was great. I hope you had an enjoyable time watching uh, Ross and meeting Anshin again. Um, one of the good news we heard this week, was it Thursday that we got it, or Friday? Thursday, we finally got approval for our declaration statement for our non, uh, nonprofit status. So that's a big hurdle in getting this thing moving. The deadline with the IRS was, is this coming Saturday? So we'll have that in hand this week and get it off to them. And then hopefully all we need now is a site visit to actually prove that we exist or something like that. It's just, I don't know, it's just the weirdest thing in the world. But uh, hopefully that kind of cracks the ice on this whole process and um, we can start the ball rolling to see that Ross and Anshin get over here. So that was kind of the big, big news this week for us and uh, we're pretty excited about it. So thanks for your prayers as we really tried to seek the Lord and get him to put his fingerprints on that. Talk about waiting to the 11th hour. My goodness, it was pretty tight. Um, since we're starting the new year, let me just kind of remind you of some things. Um, January the 22nd, we're having a big sort of family celebration looking back on last year. We're gonna have everything in here. Uh, we're gonna have actually tables set up. We're gonna have sort of a brunch in here and eat. We're gonna have testimonies, a child dedication, a baptism. Uh, we're gonna hear stories of different ministries and personal testimonies, and we're all gonna put that all together on Sunday morning, uh, that on January the 22nd. So I hope you'll make a special effort to be here. I mean, I hope you make a special effort to be here every week, but obviously that doesn't happen all the time, but uh, that'll be a really special and really chock full of just what God has been doing over the last year. Uh, in addition to that, as we start the new year, I really want you to encourage you to pay attention to the emails that we send out from the office. Uh, we, because we're trying to condense this hour to an hour, uh, rather than an hour and 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever we've been doing, uh, because we've now instituted our second hour again in some ways, we've eliminated a lot of the community life updates but our team has also been putting those announcements out in the foyer, uh, so there's video announcements that go on there, so if you don't show up till like after we start, then you will never even know that those exist, but those are there. But I want you to continue to go to the website and our app especially to find out and keep abreast of what's going on. Uh, we've got a number of uh, women's new small groups that are starting. I know that Cynthia's got one for moms uh, looking after how to raise their kids in this current world. Uh, Ashley McGuire coordinates a lot of our women's small groups in terms of disciple making, and those are, some of those are starting as well as some new community groups that you need to see Grant about. So if you're missing stuff, um, we get that you might think it's all our fault because we're not communicating enough. We're communicating almost every way we possibly can. So we just need you to sort of take notice of the emails, check our app, look at the things that are going on. And if you're not sure, phone the office uh, because there's lots going on. We just try to keep this concise so we just don't have the opportunity to do that. Let me also mention that today they're starting second hour. They're called Rock Solid Finances. Grant has secured a number of the different people in our body to do training on finances, and uh, I think he's gonna bring in Greg Deckert later on to help with wills and those kinds of things. These guys are professionals in their investing field and stewardship and all those kind of things, so I hope that uh, for those of you that wanna really put your lives out there in terms of being a disciple-making family, a disciple-making couple, 
you'll take advantage of those things. So that begins the second hour today. So there's lots going on, and uh, it's glad to be back. We had a good time. We uh, now have a new grandson. There he is right there. Um, what do you do? My computer won't load pictures, so that's the best you get right now. So that's kind of the way it is. But we had a fabulous time hanging out with our kids and our grandkids. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity just to get away for a week and uh, enjoy them. So we're thrilled, but thrilled to be back as we continue to step into the scripture. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me as we begin. We'll just uh, begin with a word of prayer before we open up the scriptures. Father, thank you for this great privilege that we have to call the God of the universe who created and brought all things into existence, who even in spite of our rebellion has in your amazing grace and mercy taken the initiative to reach down into our sinfulness and our death and our brokenness and to redeem us back to yourself. To say that we ought to be thankful is probably the biggest understatement of life. Um, not only should we be grateful and show a tremendous amount of gratitude, but for those who really understand this relationship that we now have through Jesus Christ, that we ought to allow the love of Christ to compel us in all of life so that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and rose on our behalf. Father, we know that we live with lots of distractions, and it's hard to keep our spiritual compass focused on eternal things, but it is becoming even more and more critical in the world that we live in to keep our lives in balance. And the only way to do that is to understand the scriptures and understand our relationship with you. This isn't just adding a religious component to life, this is dealing with the reality of life. And so we ask that you continue to keep us deeply rooted in your word and in our relationship with you and may today be another encouragement to help us realize some of the battles that go on around us and that afflict our life and how critical it is for us to uh, keep our faith firmly fixed upon Christ. So we thank you for this time. May your spirit continue to be our teacher and we give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something in the next three weeks, well, next four weeks, I guess, that I've never done in terms of my preaching ministry. And that is, we are stepping into Mark chapter 5, and we, this is the first 20 verses deal with Jesus dealing with what we normally call the demoniac. Takes the boat across the waters uh, to the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, steps out of the boat, and is greeted by this person who is described as being possessed by demons. And uh, Jesus, there's 20 verses here that really describe this encounter. Like many things in Mark, I think it becomes a bit of a model for us in understanding several different things, and we're going to take all 20 verses this week and look at them, which you're going to say, knowing you, that's utterly impossible. We're not going to do that, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually do that over the next three weeks. I'm going to preach this same text three weeks in a row, or aside from January the 22nd, three weeks in a row. And we're going to focus on different aspects of it, and they're actually sequential. They build on one another to help us understand the, the world we live in, and then the nature of what God does for us in terms of our own spiritual health and ministry, and then finally the importance of ministering even to one person and what it looks like. So I hope that you don't go, great, we're going to hear the same stuff every week. I will challenge you that's not what you're going to hear, and I hope that you will be challenged by it. 
So this morning we're dealing with the nature of this spiritual battle in the real world that we live in, and this becomes a great example of it. And I'm going to start just by reading the text. I don't know if I'll do this every week, but because it's 20 verses long, I think it's good to at least get it in our thinking. So it begins this way, Mark chapter 5, if you're following along with us. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, and even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. There's an odd statement for a demon, unclean spirit, to appeal to God to keep Jesus at bay. If that makes sense, boy, I don't know. For he was saying to him, and that means Jesus was saying to the unclean spirit, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in it. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city uh, and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, that is Jesus, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he uh, he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. You know, I don't know your perspective of demons and spirits. Um, I think probably one of my first introductions was back in 1984 when Hollywood came out with Ghostbusters. Um, It was one of those movies that was sorely... I guess family-oriented, it was humorous and obviously labeled as sci-fi because they created this team of people that ran around and dealt with demons and ghosts and spirits that haunted buildings and people and harassed individuals. Since that time, Hollywood has tried to master the ability of dealing and communicating what demons and spirits really look like. In fact, uh, as I begin to think about it, Often we don't deal with this in the context of Sunday mornings, the whole idea of demons and spirits and and what those spiritual beings look like. And so I suspect even for many of us as Christians that our picture of demons and how they afflict humanity is shaped maybe possibly even more by Hollywood than even the scriptures. 
that we sort of have uh, morphed through the time and ages where they've started to create all these mythical creatures. You can tell that they've gotten some ideas from the Bible, but you have individuals who suddenly, you know, their eyes start glowing red and they sprout wings and they turn up to some monster that's 10 feet tall and they start killing people and eating them and all kinds of things that is the Hollywood version of spirits and demons. It's because of that that we often sort of push back on this and you will run into some groups that would probably even say, they're not even sure whether demons and spirits exist, at least in their own experience. I've even had people tell me, I don't know if Satan has even bothered me much of my life. Well, this morning I want to sort of dip into this particular passage and look at it from the vantage point of Jesus. Uh, next week we'll look at it from the perspective probably of the crowd and the community that this particular person had obviously at one point belonged to. And then the, la- the next week after that, or the third time we look at this, we're going to look at it from the perspective of the man who was possessed by all these demons and unclean spirits. And I hope that as you go through here, you will see something that uh, hopefully will stir your thoughts to a reality that often we ignore and don't pay much attention to. Now, we don't want to get into the mode of look, trying to see a demon or a spirit behind every rock. We've got those vantage points where we've got people obsessed with trying to see these kinds of things. But we don't want to ignore it either because there's things that go on in our life and in our experiences that most likely have been affected by spiritual beings that we often ignore or are unaware of. So the first thing that I want to do is just talk a little bit about the presence of unclean spirits and demons. And I want to propose to you, based not only on this text, but there are numerous other texts through the New Testament that would advocate this that we'll talk about later, that we live in a world that has unclean spirits and demons. The Apostle Paul might phrase it a little differently. He, in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about principalities and powers and spiritual uh, forces of evil in heavenly places. There's a lot of different ways to do it. We would recognize this primarily as uh, individuals or beings that used to be angels that fell when Satan rebelled against God and this becomes his collection of army that rules and dominates the world that we live in. In our particular world, uh, especially in North America, we are less sensitive to this than other places in the world. If you go to Africa and and other places in India, they think much more about spirits and demons and how that afflicts people. And they'd have much more discussions about the idea of what we might call exorcism or how do you free individuals from these kinds of things. But in our science-driven type environment, we have a, a, a disease or a syndrome or a disorder for everything. Uh, for instance, if you uh, think about this, uh, we, and we'll talk about it a little bit as we go through here, although it's hard to get into the weeds and actually finish this in like less than three hours. But the idea here is that these unclean spirits and demons serve Satan. We're told in the scriptures that Satan is the god of this world, that he is the one in Second Corinthians that blinds the lives of unbelievers. So whenever you run into an unbeliever who rejects the gospel or has no thought of the gospel, you know that Satan, in some respects, is, is responsible for their inability to see the reality and the love of God's grace in the gospel. I mean, he's the one that blinds people's eyes. He hardens their heart to it. And so while we wouldn't talk about them being possessed by a demon, they are being influenced in many ways by Satan and his cohort 
of uh, strategic warriors, as it were, to keep the world bound in this prison that's separated from God. So as we begin to look at it, let me mention a couple of verses just so you get a feel for this, and it's not just my idea. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We don't necessarily look at our lives as being enslaved to anything. We think we're free and we get to do what we want, but from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, we live in a certain level of slavery whether we feel it or not. And that slavery keeps us isolated from the God who created us. 2 Corinthians 4, I've already mentioned. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as an apostle of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so you have all through the scriptures these statements about this spiritual realm that is often unseen by us, but is extremely active in in world events and in the lives of of humans. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against principalities and authorities of cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I mean, you start reading these texts and all of a sudden you've got like a whole cloud of spiritual activity that's over humanity. That's an ongoing spiritual battle for the lives and hearts and minds of men and women all around the world. It doesn't matter whether you're in Africa or Australia or India and China or America, even Canada. That there's all kinds of spiritual activity that we don't see. And yet, as I mentioned before, in our scientific experience-oriented life here, it's easy for us to dismiss because we have an answer for everything. We have diseases and disorders and syndromes. And so we tend to be dismissive of it because we think we can explain it in very scientific or natural terms. But I want to remind you that the power of unclean spirits and demons isn't quite as graphic as what we're going to read in this text. We will dip into this this morning, but this man was clearly absolutely tortured, not just by one unclean spirit, but it seems to be a host of them that afflicted his life. It is probably one of the most extreme pictures of Satan's activity in an individual's life that you have in all of the pages of Scripture. But as we look at it, we need to discover that unclean spirits can influence our beliefs and our values. James chapter 3 makes this statement, and he sort of pushes it down into the real experiences that you and I often have but we wouldn't recognize it as spiritual activity. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So one of the ways demonic influence touches a person's life is related to this whole issue of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He's got his fingerprint, Satan has his fingerprint, and his cohorts have his fingerprint to trying to push that button in our lives, that being selfish and, and ambitious and, is okay, because that's the way you survive in the world that we live. 
And so it takes it out of this extreme experience that this man has, and it drops it into our lap to say, oh, have I ever experienced selfish ambition? Probably. Have I had experienced jealousy or even things like unforgiveness or irritation towards other people? Well, there may be very natural reasons to think about that in terms of our own human experience, but to negate the fact that there might be spiritual forces that are trying to exacerbate that in the way that I live and treat others is undeniable in terms of what the scriptures talk about. When we get to this text and further on, when Jesus actually heals this man and drives out the demons, when the community comes out, they find him sitting there and it says, in his right mind, And so the way that these demonic forces often influence people is that it it literally makes them live outside of the normal mindset. They are people that become obsessed with things. They are people that are not in their right mind and they act accordingly. Now, we might have a syndrome to explain that from a biological or scientific kind of view, but clearly, in this particular situation, the all idea of demon possession is also, also offered, affected his mind and how he thought about life. And to assume that that doesn't happen now, I think is just being naive. And so as we begin to think through this, we need to realize that this man, at least in terms of what he believed about himself and how he viewed the world, was extremely tormented and he had a turbulent mindset and heart. It was constantly being tortured by these demons. And so the way he thought about himself, the way he viewed people, the way he looked at life was terribly altered. And it was an agonizing journey trying to grasp the reality of his own experience and what that meant in terms of how he saw Jesus even. But I also want you to notice the power of these unclean spirits in the sense that they often control behaviors and habits. In this particular text, it says this man lived amongst the tombs. And he goes on, no one could bind him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been bound and shackled with chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles. No one had enough strength to subdue him. So there's an influence that these unclean spirits, these demons that affected and influenced his life, gave him abnormal abilities in terms of his own experience may not be the only thing that people experience, but he gave him seemingly extra abnormal strength to, so that people couldn't tie him down, couldn't shackle him, couldn't restrain him from going around and terrorizing other people. And so it becomes difficult. Uh, the other element of this power is, thirdly, is the unclean spirits tormented humans to make their life miserable. It doesn't take much to look at this text and to see very clearly that night and day among the tombs in the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, we might have to contextualize this a little bit. If you know somebody who lives with pain and lives with pain most of the time, I know I've had a friend who ended up, unfortunately, uh, because she had massive migraine headaches, uh, and I, there's all kinds of technical Uh, terms to talk about it. I don't know if they were cluster headaches or whatever, but they were so intense that one night she just was, it was just driving her so nuts that she took extra painkillers and never woke up the next morning. 
But she was the kind of person that literally had to go into her bedroom, lay down on a couch, turn out all the lights, put headphones on so she couldn't hear anything, cover her eyes, and not move, other than breathing, wouldn't move because the pain was so intense. Now, many of us are fortunate not to have to live with that kind of torment. I don't know what you do with this guy. I mean, I think of the torment and the agony that this particular individual was going through would have been unbearable. And I suspect if he had somewhat more control of his own senses, it wouldn't surprise me if he would have tried to kill himself because of the torment was so extreme. I mean, we have a lot of natural causes that make us question our sanity. That we wonder whether life is going, whether it's worth going on because the suffering and the torment in our own heart and, and mind and spirit is so intense that it's just like, I can't deal with this anymore. I may not agree with it, but there's people that get to the end of their rope and they just want someone to put an end to it. And, and for them, they feel like it's so bad that I would rather die than have to keep trying to bear with this. In this particular case, There's not a lot of medical evidence to talk about whether this is biological or anything else, but clearly we're going to see that there's spiritual attack and torment upon his life that left him running night and day, crying out constantly because of the agony and the torment of his life, even to the point where he would literally bruise or cut himself with stones just to try to feel something different. You ever run into someone like that? You ever been there yourself? I I, I think sometimes we dismiss this as just, well, it's biological or it's genetic. And there's a lot to say about those things being contributors. But I think we're discovering in this text that clearly one of the contributors to that kind of torment in a person's life has very real possibilities of being spiritual forces attacking a person's life. They seem to be influence a person's body, their mind, heart, and spirit, and they can bring torment on all those different levels. And in this particular case, it is clearly unclean spiritual forces of evil that are afflicting this particular person. And the premise that I want to work with you this morning is that I believe that Satan is still alive and well, and that he still has demons and spirits and spiritual forces that he is launching out upon our world. And just because we don't necessarily feel like we're being possessed, we can certainly be tormented, influenced, afflicted by, aggravated by spiritual forces. And the danger is, is we just call it a really bad day rather than realize the reality of their presence. Now, to say that there's a problem of unclean spirits and demons might be an understatement. The struggle to understand this in our context would be is that the medical profession has done, in some ways, a fabulous job helping us to identify the problems that people struggle with. On the other hand, the medical profession has become so dominant in the discussion that we think everything is just biological or natural or genetic. And so if you take somebody, we, and we classify it, we've got things like disorders, disruptions to normal human development, we have diseases that we try to deal with, malfunction of human, um, the malfunction of human abilities because of an outside cause, 
that carries a distinct set of syndromes or symptoms. And then we have syndromes, a group of symptoms occurring together to indicate spiritual health-related problems. Now, the interesting thing about this text is that at the front end, it tells us that he has an unclean spirit, so we already know what's going on. And then it goes on to describe the symptoms of what that looks like in terms of his life. I want to flip that around for a second, and I want to talk about it as far, and put it in language that we would understand, and I would say he would have a syndrome, and we want to look at the symptoms and then try to draw what the classification is. It may sound a little goofy, but here's kind of the way it will work. Uh, by the way, in our culture, I was looking it up this week, what are the most common mental disorders that we have in our culture in two, uh, 2000, I think this was done in 2021 or the 21st century. The first one is anxiety disorder. That anxiety is probably the number one issue that afflicts most people, certainly in America. That's the number one disorder that the medical profession has identified. The second one is schizophrenia. The third one are phobias of all sorts. So when people have a certain phobia, they classify that as uh, a disorder. Bipolar disorder. I have a friend of mine back in Portland who had bipolar disorder. Boy, is his life crazy. He'd stay up for four or five days in a row and he'd work on projects around the house and not sleep at all. And then he'd crash for a whole week and never got out of bed. I mean, his behavior was just nuts. Obsessive compulsive disorder. That's uh, number five. And there's people that have absolutely obsessive compulsive tendencies. For some people, it's cleaning. Everything has to be spotless. For other people, it's it, it, whatever it happens to be, there's people that have all kinds of obsessions that they have to simply do. And we kind of rub it off as this is the way I grew up or this is the context. We don't really think of those kinds of things in terms of is there any kind of outside spiritual forces that are influencing my behavior? The problem for us, it's either, either or. It's either natural and biological or genetic or it might be a spiritual attack. We have a hard time blending those in the middle. We have a hard time discerning what is it. Panic attacks, depression, and eating disorders are the next three that are on the list. And so the idea is that if we were describing this man being demonized, how would we describe it? Now the idea here isn't to start putting labels on people, but let's work from the symptoms backwards and see if you know of anyone who's ever had these symptoms or you've gone through them yourself. Let me listen for you. This particular man in this text had extraordinary unusual strength. In other words, he had abnormal abilities or experiences that were really hard to explain as normal. The second one is that he was always busy and active but completely unproductive. I mean, he's running around at night doing all kinds of stuff, but he wasn't, he wasn't doing accomplishing anything. You ever run into a person who's always busy trying to do stuff but never gets anything done? The third one is this, he had no concern for his own well-being. When the people come out and visit him after they hear this story of Christ's healing, it tells us that he was sitting down, he was fully clothed. Well, didn't say anything before that about that, but apparently he wasn't exactly dressed for the ball. 
And so he probably ran around with very little clothing on because he didn't care about himself. But the idea here is that because of this spiritual demonic influence upon his life, he didn't care about himself at all hardly. And clothing was just one of those symptoms, those indications to say, hey, you can tell this person doesn't care because they're rags. There's something going on that would make them dress in a certain way or not dress in a certain way because they don't care. And if that's not enough to convince you, he was enamored with death and darkness. And I think one of the clear spiritual influences of, of demonic forces or spiritual beings upon his life, and I think we've seen this in our world, is that people seem absolutely obsessed and enamored by death. I mean, he lived among the tombs. Everything about this story screams of things being unclean according to the law. Death, was, if a person touched a dead body, it was unclean. Graves and tomb areas were considered unclean. He was likely a Gentile living in the area that he was, and they would have been unclean to the Jews. Certainly, he was described as having an unclean spirit. There's everything about this is dripping with dysfunction and brokenness. But you show me a person that seems to be very enamored by death and darkness. I'll show you a person that may have a lot of spiritual influences in their life that they may not care about or we may not identify in the same way. He was constantly in some level of distress. Mental health. He had mental health issues, if you want to put it in our language. He really struggled with seeing reality the way it is, and he had it, it affected his spirit and his emotions. He had some affliction of the invisible realities of the mind. And for us to connect with it, I'll say mental health issues. Who wouldn't if you've got a legion of demons in you? We, our tendency is, well, I've got a headache. If I take this prescription medicine, that'll help at least dull the pain. And then I, at least I can function. And he was regularly doing self-harm or thinking about it. I mean, I, to me, one of the classic indications of spiritual influence, negative evil spiritual influence on a person's life, is they think about death or killing themselves, or they think about doing harm to themselves, and you run into people that are in a lot of our institutions where cutting and everything else becomes part of their behavioral system. And so they become a danger to themselves, not just everybody else around them. I mean, we always saw that a little bit because the community had tried to wrap him up in chains and chain him down and keep him from doing things. So he was clearly a threat to other people. But he's also clearly a threat to himself. So if we work from the symptoms backwards, what syndrome would you give this? Well, we might have all kinds of syndromes that we would give it today to isolate any one of those and give it a syndrome and then give them drugs to mitigate the pain. In this particular case, this is an unclean spiritual attack on his life syndrome. And the danger for us is that we tend to overlook it because our first thing is not to see a spiritual solution to things. It's often go to the doctor and get meds or get a prescription or get counseling. Now, that being said, let me, next week we'll come back and deal with that stuff. So if you want to know, you're going to get through this and you're going to go, so what do we do, Brad, now that we've sort of identified some of these things? You've got to come back next week and figure it out. 
I know I'm a very nasty person. But even if we do a self-evaluation, have any of these kinds of things been part of your experience in life? In whole or in part? Well, I think we'd be naive to think, well, the really spiritual people don't experience this stuff. You've got to be kidding. And the reason isn't necessarily because we've done something wrong, but we have a personal enemy called Satan who is constantly going to be on our case and afflicting us because he wants to destroy the viability of the life and the power of Christ in our life to try to convince us that this isn't worth it and I'm going to abandon the faith. If God really loved me, he would never allow me to go through these kinds of struggles. And so it's a great weapon of Satan to try to discourage us and dismember us and to give up on life because he's the one that takes away life. He's the one that destroys life. He's the one that afflicts life. God is the one that gives it to us. We do not have to be possessed or controlled Hollywood style to be afflicted by unclean spirits, principalities, and spiritual forces in, of evil in heavenly places. We can feel like we're in our right mind and still have a torment that goes on in our spirit and our soul. It might be anxiety. It may be obsessive-compulsive stuff. It may be things that seem to be, well, as long as I don't inflict this on others, fairly harmless, I'm just learning how to cope and live with it. But I want to make sure we see the other side of this, is that Jesus has the power over unclean spirits and demons. We'll talk next week about how the community tried to ineffectively either deal with or help this person. But the conclusion, obviously, at some point, is that Jesus is the only answer. I want you to notice quickly the posture of these unclean spirits before Jesus. They run, he runs over to Jesus and he falls down before him. I don't believe that's an act of worship. I think that's an act of fear and terror, like he's standing in the presence who can snuff him out in no time at all. This is an act of recognizing Jesus' authority and power and it's an act of fear being intimidated by Jesus because we're gonna discover that this unclean spirit knew exactly who Jesus was. Secondly, there's the panic of this unclean spirit. The panic is simply this, Jesus, son of the most, what have you got to do with me? What are you doing here? I, I, I think the best way to describe this would be literally this idea of, let's say if you're in junior high and all of a sudden the teacher got a phone call from the office and called out your name and said, you're to go down to the principal's office. Well, in our day and age today, kids would go, who cares? But when I grew up, it would be like, I'm going to the principal's office? Are you kidding? And then when you get down there, not only is the principal there, but both your parents are there. They'd be like, oh no, I'm dead. And I'd be looking at my parents going, and this didn't happen, by the way. <laughs> Just so you're clear. <laughs> this is a made-up fictional story that was trying to illustrate a point. But I look at my parents and I'm going like, what are you doing here? What do you have to do with me? Like, what are you doing here? And I think that's what he's saying here. I think this unclean spirit is going like, what are you doing here? I think he's absolutely in a panic that Jesus is suddenly on his doorstep and he doesn't know what to deal with it. And there ought to be reason for it. 
The word legion is a Roman term talking about their army that had anywhere from three to 6,000 troops part of it. So you either have to determine that this is a statement saying that these unclean spirits are powerful or there is a multitude of them afflicting this guy's life. It's hard to imagine 6,000 demons afflicting one person's life. I, I just don't know how to get my hand around. But when Jesus tell, gives them permission to go into the pigs, there's 2,000 of them there and they send that entire herd into the water. I'm going to say he, this guy's not having a good day. Makes me at times feel profoundly thankful for sometimes the normalcy of life and God's provision to protect many times over my life from having experienced these kinds of afflictions. But Jesus has power over these unclean spirits and you'll notice by the proclamation of the unclean spirits about Jesus, you are Jesus, the son of the most high God. Now, he doesn't say that as a disciple of Jesus. But Jesus had this experience before. Back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus cast out an unclean spirit, and when they come out of there, they immediately make this proclamation, or in that journey, you are Jesus, the, the Son of the Most High God. It's always troubling to me that demons and spirits have a clearer perspective of God and who Jesus is than often we do. That was exactly the point that James made in, in James chapter 2, verse 19. He's talking to people who claim to know Jesus, but there's no fruit or works that come from it, which is clearly, as far as James is concerned in other books, if there's no fruitfulness, if there's no reality of the outflow of the life of Christ in us to others, you know, his argument is, well, you say you believe and have no works, and he comes back and says, even the demons believe, and they tremble at the reality of who God is. It's, it's literally like he's taking them by the collar and saying, what's the matter with you people? You say you have faith, but, but there's no solid, substantive, transformative reality about it. Where's the works? Where's the fruitfulness of it? You're, you're treating Christianity like a placard. Got my life insurance, I get to go to heaven. It's to transform our life so we become God's representatives. To be a light in the darkness so others discover his grace and his glory to redeem them from the darkness. And yet time after time after time in Jesus' ministry and in the, in the epistles, we see that demons and spirits seem to have much greater clarity and conviction about who God is than we do. And so fourthly, Jesus gives permission for the unclean spirits to torment the swine and so he casts them out but finally, I want you to notice the reality is the purpose of all this is that it demonstrates the power of Christ to redeem and restore a man from the problem of sin and death and all of his brokenness in extreme ways. That the only solution to the deep brokenness of our lives is Christ. And we can see it here because all of a sudden something profound changes. He's found sitting in one place, he's found fully clothed, and now he's in his right mind. Now I don't think just because Jesus heals people physically that they're automatically his disciples, but this particular gentleman, when he wants to follow Jesus, and we'll talk about that later, Jesus doesn't let him, so he goes off and starts telling everybody the good things that God has done for him. And I want to suggest to you 
that this also becomes a magnificent analogical picture of the gospel. Because the reality that we don't realize is how enslaved we are to sin and death and darkness and our brokenness. That this particular individual has no possible way to free himself and to get into a normal kind of existence. And I will suggest to you that's the very nature of the gospel is that God knows that we are absolutely helpless because Satan is the God of this world and aside from all the afflictions of what he lies to us about and the values that he tries to get our culture and our world to embrace that afflict our life, that there's no way for us, just like this man, to free ourselves from that and get into normal life. Christ is the only one who can rescue us from this kind of spiritual slavery. We cannot save ourselves. But as we begin to think through this whole issue, I want to encourage you to say, do I really believe there are spiritual forces that afflict my life? I think we need to realize that some people, whether personality-wise or whether they've inherited from people, may have tendencies to be more anxious than others. But I will absolutely guarantee that when Satan sees those kinds of vulnerabilities in our life, that he's going to push his finger on that and exasperate it to the point where it's debilitating and we can't escape it. And I think we can see those things in just our own personality and some of the ways we behave and think and believe rather than what the truth of God's word says about us. We are in a spiritual battle. We, in a sense, to excuse the expression, we're fighting for our lives and the lives of people around us. There's a spiritual warfare going on, and we're on the front lines, and Satan's going to take dead aim at you to try to do everything he can to say, is this really worth it? And as we trek through here over the next couple of weeks, I hope you'll see that there are ways to find freedom from the stuff that's even in our own lives that we may not even recognize. But because of that, Jesus is the solution to every human being's brokenness and sin and dysfunction. We have to learn to allow him to heal and restore and redeem things in our life. The worst thing we can do is try to manage it ourselves. But we'll talk about that next week. Father, thank you. But maybe there's things in the scriptures that we've often ignored and not paid much attention to. We might give tacit acknowledgement to the idea that there might be spirits and demons, but I mean at times, if we're honest, we tend to not think about it very much because we don't know what to do about it anyway. We see people around us struggling and even some of the things that we talked about today, there's maybe people that come to our mind that, boy, they seem to have anxiety that's off the chart. They are so obsessive compulsive about this kind of thing. They always seem to be discouraged and depressed and they even talk about at times about what it, would life be different if I just ended it. Father, help us to have the spiritual insight and the mind of Christ to know that there's a lot of things that people go through that may have natural or genetic causes to it. But help us also have the insight to recognize that we live in a world where there is 
a war going on and Satan wants to do everything he can to afflict human beings to keep them from the grace and the glory of the gospel of Jesus. And yet that's the very response that you have to our sin and death and our brokenness, to our disorders, ultimately to our diseases. Lord, help us to look at life, even the brokenness and the dysfunction of life through the eyes of Christ, first and foremost in our own life and then in others. Not to label them or stereotype them, but to bring the mercy and grace of Jesus to help bring deliverance and redemption and freedom that Christ came to give us. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.